please, re- please remain standing for the reading of God's word. We are in Genesis chapter 37. Um, starts with this. Jacob lived in the land of his fathers, sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flocks with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he had told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this? What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the same in mind. Skip down to verse 18. It says, They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. And we will see what will become of his dreams. All right. I just want to make sure I got that right this time. You guys can go and take a seat. <laughs> Jason, come on up. Let me pray for you. <laughs> Father, we want to thank you, man, just for your grace and for your love and for your truth. Uh, we pray, Lord, that, man, you would speak this truth uh, just through Jason uh, may uh, may we be dependent on you, and as he is dependent on you to uh, to really speak through him. Uh, we love you, uh, we trust you, and uh, we thank you for all that your son has done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good. Um, somebody we got to meet this week, kind of nationally, was uh, Francis Hogan. Anybody know who that is? Threw that name out there, um, kind of this infamous uh, Facebook whistleblower. Right? Follow that story at all? Anybody? No one. Um, well, here's who she is. She's a Harvard business grad. Uh, she's worked at numerous big, like influential tech firms, and she worked for Facebook recently. No longer there, but when she was there, she was kind of in the. Um, the upper levels of leadership and influence in Facebook and what she saw really began to bother her and disturb her. And uh, she decided to, over the course of a few, I believe, weeks, months, she began to gather information, uh, memos, documents, and then leak them, right? So she is like the Facebook whistleblower. Uh, She was on 60 Minutes. Here's how I know I'm getting a lot older is one of the highlights for me and Sarah's week is we watch 60 Minutes on Sunday nights, right? I'm in, a new, I'm in a new demographic now that I watch 60 Minutes. But on her 60 Minutes interview this past Sunday, so a week ago today, she said this. Here's her quote. The version of Facebook that exists today is tearing our societies apart and causing ethnic violence around the world. Right? It's a big statement. 
Um, so according to Hagen, Facebook did their own research. So not research they got from outside of their company, but actually internally. It said, let's do some studies. And those studies, um, for their, the research said this, is that while Facebook and Instagram, they're the same companies, actually increases uh, suicide, eating disorders, and is really bad for fragile democracies. But we got to keep people scrolling, right? So that was their little dilemma they had. And Hagen, she's hearing this, seeing this. She's like, i got to do something. So if what she says is true, and maybe it's not true, but she was faced with this little tension of, do I keep my job? Uh, is it the right thing to remain silent? What, what should I do? And so that's why she decided to gather those documents. Um, I believe this past Tuesday she was scheduled to testify before Congress. Right? She got the ball rolling for sure. Uh, doing the right thing in a wrong culture or environment, we're all going to face sometime. It is inevitable, whether that's just in a relationship, in a family, at work, an organization, it will show up. We're not going to get past that. This is why we tell this story a lot in our culture. Uh, once again, I'm going I'm to quote old movies here, but you think about Serpico with Al Pacino, which I've never seen, all right, or The Firm, or even Aaron Brockovich. Right? Uh, these are stories of people who they kind of encounter something. They say the culture at large here, whatever culture they're in, is wrong. And I need to do something about it. And this is kind of what we see with Joseph. And if you're not familiar with the story of Joseph, I'm sure... Many of you are, but he's going to find himself in situation over situation over situation where he's, he's going to be tested, tempted, tried. Like, he doesn't have an easy life. We could say that, right? Uh, and the life of Joseph is what we're starting today. So we're going to be in the life of Joseph from now until, I believe, Advent. And so all of this month, most of next month, we're going to be talking about Joseph. And here's the big idea as we're looking at Joseph is how do we live godly lives in an ungodly world, right? Because that's what we see Joseph do over and over and over again. And so before I really launch into uh, the life of Joseph, it's important for us to kind of take a step back, look at Joseph's life in the broader context of the book of Genesis. And Eric's going to do some of this work also next week. But we have the story of Genesis where it starts with God creating, and then we have the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve are in perfect relationship with each other, with their God, with their work, with their world. Everything's great. Then they sin. We call that the fall. And then here's what's interesting. From there till about chapter 18, Genesis deals broadly with human sin, right? Uh, just humanity as a whole. It's very broad. And what we see is humanity kind of spiraling, right? They just keep messing up doing horrible things. Uh, humanity's not doing well in the book of Genesis for the first 18 chapters. And then uh, you have the Tower of Babel, which is sort of this big turning point in the book. And then from the Tower of Babel, the whole book shifts from humanity at large to this one family, which is where God calls Abraham, right? He's his friend, right? And now the story shifts from here's all of humanity to here's this one family as we begin to track with them. Um, Abraham is called the friend of God, and God promises to bless the nations through this family. So, once again, I've said this a couple times, going broad now to this one family. And so when we get to Joseph, he's part of that lineage. So Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, 
and Jacob has Joseph along with 11 other sons. And as we read, as Eric read the text this morning, I believe there's 11 sons. The 12th isn't here yet, but God continues to affirm that he made a covenant with this family or like a contract with them, right, to bless them and to uh, fulfill his, uh, his covenant through these generations. But here's what's crazy about this family. They are a real hot mess, okay? That's a big theological term right there, right? Big hot mess. Um, just take Abraham, the guy who kind of starts this out. He's the one who's chosen by God. To, he's called the friend of God. In two different situations, he, he finds himself where <clears throat> uh, he's worried that a more powerful man will take his wife because they're married. So he lies about it and says it's his sister. Um, but God intervenes on both of those accounts. Isaac, so his son has a favorite son, which is Esau, whereas his wife, Rebecca, has a favorite son, which is Jacob. We start to see that favoritism show up. Um, Jacob lies, kind of tricks his brother into getting his inheritance, and then his dad is pretty much on his deathbed and cons him into blessing him, in a way, stealing from his brother, and then hightails it and runs, right, and just leaves after dad dies. Jacob shows up in the new land, and marries two sisters. That's a bad idea, okay? Bad idea right there. Uh, and he does this, you know, not modern electricity there. So he wakes up after his wedding night and finds out that uh, he was tricked. And so and he really didn't like that woman. He loved her sister, so he works another seven years to get her. So imagine, just imagine the complexity of being married to two sisters, one you were tricked into marrying, and one you really loved. There's going to be a lot of drama there, a lot of drama. Um, and then he has Joseph, and the text says it's like it's in his older age. Something I've noticed is I've seen guys who have, not that a guy in his 20s can't be a good dad, but I've seen guys who have had children later in life. They tend to be a little more patient. Um, this is why my grandparents are so great, right? Right? They just got a little more experience. They're not quite as uh, triggered. You know, just older dads seem to be a little bit more chill. And so Joseph is the son of the loved wife. These other guys are not. And all the brothers know this, and they hate him for it. But, once again, more context here before we launch into his life. Jacob has good reasons to not like his other sons, right, or to favor Joseph over them. His other sons are kind of knuckleheads. Uh, Reuben, who is the firstborn, Right, this would have been Joseph's oldest brother. Uh, Jacob's out of town, and so Reuben decides to sleep with one of his concubines. Right? That would have been a blatant act of disrespect. And he actually, he gets cursed for this later when uh, Jacob is on his deathbed, right? And that's partly why Joseph has the coat. He's, he's taken that, what uh, Jacob does is he takes that birthright in a way from him and says, you're, you're not going to be the, the, the kind of the heir. We're going to give this to the, the son I love, right, which creates more problems, right? It just keeps, it's a snowball effect. Um, Jacob's daughter, Dinah, I think it's one of the craziest stories in the Bible, but she is sexually assaulted by a local guy, and the response is that Simeon and Levi, two of Joseph's brothers, two of Jacob's sons, you tracking, right? They go to this guy and they say, hey, look, you, you did this to our sister, that's not cool, but here's what we're going to do. Um, you guys get, circ you, you get circumcised and all the men in your town get circumcised, if you want her to be your wife, and the men agree to that, 
So then a couple days later when the men aren't quite as um, probably feeling well, a little sore, they come in and they kill every man in town, right? That's a big response. Uh, so Simeon, Levi, the other brothers show up and they just, they kill every guy in town. And Genesis 34 says this, it says they, they took their flocks and their herds, their donkeys, and whatever was in the city and in the field, all their wealth, all their little ones, and their wives, all that was in the house, they captured and plundered. That's a big response, okay? These guys were mad. Uh, Jacob responds, the dad responds by saying, hey, um, you've brought trouble on me now, right? In this neighborhood, I stink. Everybody hates my guts. Uh, you've put us at risk. And as I read that story, I don't know who's the bad guy. I really don't. They all seem to make bad decisions here, all of them. Judah, who is another son, uh, in the text we read, he suggests they sell Joseph. Uh, and in Genesis 38, the next chapter after what Eric just read, um, he leaves the family, kind of wanders away, ends up marrying a Canaanite woman, which is always bad in the Old Testament. When that happens, that should be a little trigger for us to say, oh, this is a bad decision. Um, and he ends up hooking up with what he thinks is a prostitute. These are Joseph's brothers, right? Not the best guys in the world. Joseph shines pretty bright among these guys because of the darkness of his brothers. They're just, they're a hot mess, okay? Uh, it's wrong for Jacob to have a favorite, but yet Jacob's sons continue to shame him, disappoint him, uh, disrespect their father, whereas Joseph, we see him in the text as obedient, respectful, honoring to his dad. Of course he's going to be the favorite, right? Because the other ones aren't very likable. But here's the point of all of this. Here's where I'm going, what I'm going for. Is the family that God promised to bless and be a blessing to the world was not a good, moral, upstanding family, right? This family has liars, adulterers, sexual deviants, murderers. They're bad people. And this is the family that Joseph is born into, and this is the family that God chooses to be a blessing for the rest of history. And so what Joseph is going to show us is he's, he is going to show us how to live a godly life in an ungodly world. But what we're really driving at in this whole series is we're going to look at how Joseph continues to point us to Jesus. Right? And he's going to do that over and over and over again. So let's look at Genesis 37, 18 through 20. It says this, they saw him, this is the brothers, they saw him, Joseph, from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Um, so here's the first point I want us to see today. Uh, it's not deep. It's not very profound. It's actually pretty simple. It's sometimes people do bad things, right? Uh, that's kind of like saying, hey, water's wet, right? You know this. Uh, when I said this to Glenn earlier, he said sometimes, right? Like sometimes people do bad things. Um, imagine being one of Jacob's sons. Right? Dad has a favorite wife. It's not your mom. Well, that would create some stuff. Um, he has a favorite son. It's not you. Right? Your brother is the youngest, and everyone acts like he's perfect. If you've got siblings, you can already feel that. Like you're already irritated with Joseph, too. Right? Uh, he's told on you before, and um, once again, he does whatever. Here he comes again, doing whatever dad wants. When is he just going to man up and do his own thing? He's always doing what dad wants him to do. And as these brothers see him coming up, they decide hey, when he gets here, let's kill this guy. Now, this isn't like 
brothers getting together at a family reunion, everybody starts drinking too much and a fight breaks out and somebody gets shot, all right? It's not that kind of murder. This is, you know what, when he gets here, let's do this. This is premeditated. This feels almost emotionless to me of like, when he, let's do this when he gets here. Um, and if we look at the story also, Judah says, well, let's not kill him. Let's actually sell him because there's more profit in that. Great brothers that he has. Um, now imagine Joseph. How does he feel in this? His brothers hate him. They think about killing him, and instead they sell him. And it even says in the text, which we kind of skimmed over, but they're eating lunch having these conversations. Right? So he's thrown in this pit deciding what to do with him while they eat lunch. And he's just hanging out down there. Here's the big idea for this point. People do bad things. Um, I used to investigate child abuse and neglect for the state of Nebraska. That's what I did. And I've heard many stories, and I can tell you, people do bad things. Um, many of you in this room have probably experienced that. I don't have to convince you of that. You know that. You know people do bad things. You've been betrayed, abandoned, abused, discarded, hurt. And what really makes it just sting a little bit more is, for many of us, that's happened because of, from people we actually care about and love. Right? It's not some random stranger that did that. It's people that we actually care about. Like maybe brothers, sisters, parents, friends. And that's Joseph. If that's you, Joseph can relate to you. Like you can relate to Joseph. Right? People do bad stuff. And the story of Genesis is continually telling these stories of here's somebody doing something bad again. Here it happens again. So it should not shock us when we hear that Facebook values profit over people, if that's true. It should not surprise us when we hear about, right, uh, scandal, uh, corruption, moral failure. We should not be surprised by that because we see it all through the Bible. And if that is not enough, we, we experience it in our own lives. Amen? We've experienced this. Uh, but but here's, here's the danger is for us to kind of think the world's a bad place because I don't think that's what the Bible's teaching. Uh, the danger for us would be to like circle wagons, right, isolate ourselves, uh, try to create some little utopia. That's not biblical either because there is this tension that people do bad things, but people are also created in the image of God, which is a weird, it's a weird tension there. So how do we respond? How do, what do we do when we want to live godly lives in ungodly places? Uh, when we want to be godly among ungodly people, right, the tension's there. And if we look at the story of Joseph, uh, we don't see him saying anything, which I find interesting. Like, in the text, he says nothing in this part. Which a lot of times, those of us who have been hurt, we do feel voiceless. Right? That happens. But later in the text, which is not the text we read today, but near the end of this series, we'll come back to this. But Joseph says to his brothers, hey, uh, you guys intended this for evil, but God has intended it for good. But... Here's what we get to say. We do get to say that was evil, right? We get to call it that. Sometimes that's just refreshing for people, right? Maybe we've, we've been hurt. The Bible says it's okay to say that was evil. And at the same time, we think about uh, the fact that people do bad things. We, we must remember that if people do bad things, we're also people, right? We're people, which means we do bad things sometimes, uh, I like what Paul says to Titus. As Titus is in Crete trying to plant churches. Here's what Paul instructs Titus to say. He says, remind them to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. 
right? For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. And what Paul is saying here is that we should show courtesy towards people, um, watch how we talk about people, show gentleness to people because we were people who had, who had done bad things also. Right? It's not like look at the bad things they've done, but Paul is saying we've all done bad things, right? which should bring some humility. Uh, here's, here's a good way to read this text as we read the story of Joseph. We are much more like the brothers than we are Joseph. Now, we might not kill people. We might not be hooking up with prostitutes or plundering towns and villages, but we have anger, right? We have violent thoughts towards people. We fight lust in our hearts, right? We envy and covet what people have. We are far more like these brothers than we are like Joseph, right? And yet, for us, Jesus is our perfect brother, like the beloved son sent from the father to rescue us. Just like Joseph is being sent by his father, Jesus is sent by his father, right? And just like later in the story, Joseph will rescue his brothers. We need a brother to come rescue us. So our gentleness and courtesy and refusal to speak negatively against people is an act of humility on our part because of the grace, mercy that we've received from Jesus. Right? So all of us do bad things because we're people, which shows our need for a Savior. Right? But the story of Joseph has much more to show us than that. As we continue, um, we've seen that people do bad things, but we also see that bad things have consequences, right? People's lives are affected. So verse 4, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him, right? Bad decisions or bad things lead to bad consequences. I feel like this is a mantra in my home when I'm with my kids, right? You made a bad choice, here's your bad consequence, right? But the story of favoritism shows up in this family over and over again. It always leads to bad stuff. Favorite wives, favorite children, and the consequences are rampant in this book. So for Jacob, right, he favors Joseph so much, and he, it doesn't seem like he's shy about it. He's pretty open about it, that it leads his brothers to hate him even more. So the bad choice of showing favoritism leads to the consequences of Joseph being sold as a slave. Here, here's the irony for Jacob. His display of favoritism actually costs, loses his son. Right? It's that favoritism... That scene that leads to him losing his son. Jacob practices polygamy, which we see that in the Old Testament. It never ends well when people practice polygamy in the Old Testament. Old Testament is against this, just to be clear. And yet, we see these patriarchs doing it anyway. Um, so, Jacob practices this polygamy, has children with his concubines, multiple wives, and then we read of two of his sons who commit sexual sins. His bad decision is playing out in the rest of his family. Our own sins are not just isolated to us. It, it has repercussions. Um, let's say somebody decides to just go blow their whole paycheck at the casino and lose their sobriety over a weekend. All right, big example here. But let's say somebody does that. Who suffers? Is it just them? Right? What about their kids? What about their own parents who might be concerned about them? What about people at work who depend on them? What about their friends? Bad decisions affect everyone in contact with the person making the decision. Right? It just... It rolls downhill. And if we want to live a godly life, an ungodly world, we need to understand that our decisions have consequences. What we choose to do, it does ripple out. Right? The son's decisions affected their dad. It affected their brother Joseph. Right? Actions and decisions have consequences. 
But, but here's what we also need to be aware of. Uh, just because we do the right thing doesn't always mean it's going to end up well either. Right? Uh, living a godly life in an ungodly world doesn't mean that everything's going to go great or as planned or there are no bad consequences. Sometimes we get hit with stuff as well. So let's look at verse 28. It says, Then the Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. Right. Doing the right thing or the good thing may also lead to bad consequences. Um, if you're familiar with this story of Joseph, it does kind of feel like it has a happy ending. But here's something I don't think we should gloss over, and that is when Joseph is picked up out of that pit and sold, he's leaving home and that, like, his country, like, his place for the last time. He never comes back here, right? He never returns, right? That would be a loss, right? He never returns. Um, he's done nothing wrong. Just, he got some bad brothers. He's been a good son. He's done the right thing. And, in fact, uh, one study I did as I was researching the life of Joseph, um, and you guys can think about this, but... Joseph is only one of three major biblical characters where no sin is described in. Like, there's no, no big fault in him. Not, he has sin, but like, there's no major, like, here's the sin he did. It's, you want to know, who are those other two, right? All right, it's Jesus, Joseph, and Daniel, right? There, there's nothing really bad said about them as far as sin. And yet, Joseph's story, it's a pretty elite group, is one of suffering, injustice, being forgotten, not for just a season, but for decades of his life. He's only 17 when this happens to him. And the rest of his, I mean, he spends years suffering. Doing the right thing does not always lead to good things. Uh, sometimes it actually leads to bad, uh, bad responses to that. Uh, I know over the, um, when the Me Too movement happened, right, um, and Harvey Weinstein kind of became like almost the face of that, of like the, the horror of it. And as I was uh, I heard recently that, like, Ashley Judd, I remember in high school, I feel like Ashley Judd was in, like, every movie. Anybody know who Ashley Judd was? Right? I feel like she was just in all kinds of movies, and then she sort of disappeared. And if rumors are true, or what she's reporting is true, is she had an interview with Harvey Weinstein, and she said, that's not the right thing for me to do, and I'm not going to do it. Right? So she said no. And then people would call Harvey to uh, get recommendations for her in a movie, and he would say, no, she's horrible. So she got blacklisted for years, right, for years. So you think about her life and her career dramatically changed because she said no. She said, I'm not going to do that. Right? She did the right thing. It did not make her career better. In fact, it probably made her career worse. Uh, I think the, one of the big directors, I think she was supposed to be in uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. That was like a big role for her. Did not get it because Harvey blacklisted her. Great series, by the way, Lord of the Rings, right? But here's the thing. I'm sure there are sales reps who tell the truth and didn't get the sale. That there are people who claimed income accurately and paid more taxes. There are those who would not lie and got fired. Sometimes doing the right thing, bad consequences happen. But that's not a, like, don't do the right thing. That's obviously not what I'm saying. But we look at the life of Jesus, right? He lives a perfect, sinless life without fault. He's abandoned by his friends, he's falsely accused and arrested, he's tortured and killed, and he never did anything wrong, ever. But he did the right thing. Doing the right thing may lead to bad consequences. Um, and that's partly because people do bad things, back to point one. And those things have repercussions that affect everyone, right? Even people that do the right thing. So as, as we close, um, 
I want us to understand something about the story of Joseph. It does help us work through difficulties, seasons of challenge, difficult. Like, he's a good model for us. But the story of Joseph is not really about, hey, here's how to live a good life. It's really about, look, look at Jesus. So let me just point out some things about Joseph and Jesus as we get ready to go to communion here soon. So where do we see Jesus in the text? Jesus, or Joseph is the beloved son sent to his brothers, right? The beloved son. And we get an echo of that at the baptism of Jesus. Where what, what does the father say at the baptism of Jesus? Here is my beloved son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Where you have Joseph going to tell brothers something they don't want to listen. We have, there's an echo of that. Also, Joseph's brothers plot to kill him. And the Jewish leaders, his own brotherhood, right, community he's in, leader, they plot to kill Jesus. Uh, Joseph is sold as a slave by people he has spent his life with, people that he loves. Jesus is sold by Judas, right, betrays him for, who he spent a majority of his ministry with for 30 pieces of silver, which would be the cost of a slave, right. You see that, like, we're supposed to see Jesus in this text. The story of Joseph is pointing us to Jesus, the brother who's going to go ahead of us to prepare a way for us as a result of our sin and redeem us and save us. He's gone ahead to save us. So the best way for us to live a godly life in an ungodly world is to look at Jesus first. There's not a lot of huge application this week as we just kind of introduce the whole story. But he is the one that lived a godly life, talking about Jesus, so that we could be free in him and then to trust in him through his spirit to live out the life we're called to live. So this is what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks. We're going to look at the life of Joseph. We're going to see how he faces temptation, how he faces difficulties and trials, and how he lives a godly life in an ungodly world. And so next week, Eric's going to talk about how Joseph is favored, framed, and forgotten. So communion service, worship team, if you guys want to come up um, as we transition into communion. If you guys wouldn't mind just uh, bowing your heads as I just pray for us as we transition to communion. Uh, Jesus, we thank you that uh, you are the beloved son. And that we are the brothers who do bad things. And yet, even though we've done all sorts of bad things, you still love us. You still went ahead. When we're at our wits end, when we feel like all is lost and hopeless, there you are to save us, to free us and redeem us. So in this moment, um, Jesus, I pray that by the goodness of your spirit, would you show us just places in our lives where we've done bad things. Whether that's in our thinking, in our doing, in our attitude. Um, because of your goodness, grace, and mercy, and love, show us our sin. Show us where we've fallen short. Because of your goodness to us. I pray that as, as a church we would recognize that. And in this moment now I'd ask you, whatever's come to mind, just confess that, give that to Jesus. And then as a response to that, you're going to come forward and you're going to take the bread and they're going to tear that piece of bread off and they're going to hand that to you. And this is Jesus giving you his goodness his right standing, we are no longer in the sight of God, the bad brothers, but we stand as beloved sons and daughters 
before a loving God. And so whenever you're ready, go ahead and pray, search your heart, come forward and receive the goodness Jesus offers.